Hello, and welcome to Beyond Prospecting, the Apper podcast, featuring thought-provoking conversations with prospect development and fundraising experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Good morning. Uh, my name is Audrey Jeffroy, and I am the Executive Director of Data Services at the University of Florida. I started out at UF almost 20 years ago as a prospect researcher before we had that umbrella term of prospect development as a thing. Um, I eventually expanded to include analytics and all things data in my repertoire, which led me to my current position. So this morning, I have the honor of moderating a conversation between two of my esteemed colleagues from APRA, Adrian Owen and Mark Eggie each of whom took their own journey starting in a prospect development role and eventually transitioning to a leadership role. So rather than me introducing you guys, um, what I'm gonna do is ask each of you to introduce yourself and then let us know your current position and what areas you oversee. So I'm gonna start with Adrian. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Adrian Owen, and I'm the AVP for Advancement Services at the LSU Foundation until Friday. And then starting next week, I will be the Chief Growth Officer for a Creative Agency 368. So I, I can see Mark's face. That's, I, I forgot to tell you that, it's Mark. Um, so I'm really excited about it. Um, but I absolutely see prospect development as my growth path into this really new and exciting role. And um, I'm happy to talk about how I got there. So what do I oversee here at the LSU Foundation right now? I am over um, donor relations and prospect development, and we kind of call that team prospect strategy. And then we have um, bio and gift records. Um, so that's uh, gifts processing and um, records management together, and then the information services and analytics teams. And Mark, what about you? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm Mark Eggie. I am the Associate Vice President for Development at Hamlin University. I've been there just over two years now. Um, and in that role, I oversee our advancement operations. So including, you know, we've got uh, some research functionality and uh, gift entry and stewardship and, and all of that. Um, and then also I've got the annual fund under my purview as well, which um, all that has been a really interesting sort of learning curve that I've been on, particularly as we've, you know, had staff transitioning out or coming in and whatnot, kind of getting my hands dirty with some of that stuff more than I would before. Yeah, that th there you go. I'm there. I'm here. All right. So, um, well, let, let's switch it up and start with you then, Mark, on this next question. Can you tell us a little bit about how you actually got started in advancement? I don't know about you, but like, I kind of fell into it, had no idea what it was until I found myself in it. So you want to talk a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like prospect research is, is clearly just a giant hole because so many people just fall into it. And I was one of those people as well. Um, I was just trying to get out of a different kind of job and, and saw an opening at the Indiana University Foundation when I was in Bloomington and um, just for a research assistant. And I said, oh, I could do that. It, you know, seems interesting and not too difficult and kind of fun. And so, yeah, that was just kind of how I fell into it. And then from there on, it was like, oh, there's a real career path here. And I could actually um, stay in the field and, and, you know, do this for a long time because it was just super interesting to me. Um, I'm definitely one of those curious types. I like puzzles. I like genealogy. I like um, uh, 
you know, crosswords, all those sorts of things where I'm piecing together bits of information, right? So it was perfect. It was a perfect job for, you know, where my interests uh, really, wh- how I'm naturally wired, I should say. So yeah, definitely a fall into it kind of uh, situation for me as well. That is really relatable, especially all of the things that you like. <laughs> that mm. feels really, I don't know, kind of simpatico. <laughs> um, Adrian, you want to tell us about how you landed in, in advancement? Yeah, I will. And I'll say Mark really is like one of the most curious, and interesting people. So I think that's like <laughs> what um, those types of people are attracted to prospect development, right? Because you kind of get to dig around and ask questions and answer questions and uh, it's a good space for people who like to do that. Um, so how did I get into advancement? I was actually a working artist when I graduated um, college. I was trying to you know, make my way as a painter in the world and um, I needed a real job. And one of the patrons of the arts in Oklahoma City hired me on at his private family foundation. And we were doing grants to nonprofits and that was really my first foray into nonprofits and granting and all of that. And from there, I really got to know the nonprofit space and got really passionate and interested about philanthropy um, because I was working for a philanthropist. Um, Fast forward about four years and I found a job at the LSU Foundation um, in donor relations. And, um, you know, I enjoyed the donor relations work, but what got me really excited was was data and digging into data and figuring out how we can build better portfolios and how can we maximize fundraisers efficiency and how can we find better donors and, um, you know, connect donors with their passions um, at LSU, you know, and so from there I fell into prospect development and, um, you know, have really, I even see my current role as being deeply involved in the prospect development space. I have to jump in here and just say that like the the parallels in our paths are a little funny in the sense that I didn't mention this, but the job that I was, you know, like, ah, I don't really like this very much was working for a gentleman who was a um, retired uh, uh, insurance guy, but had multiple interests within real estate and whatnot. And in fact, had his own family foundation. And so I saw the 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 other side of the grant making, right? So like, I think Adrian and I are kind of like, strange exceptions having been on that side of it understanding you know how a philanthropist thinks and what are the mechanisms and and all that that go into you know private family foundation or those small businesses that are in that space as well so that's funny that that you had that experience as well um i I mean it was definitely a leg up right like coming in going oh yeah i've seen a 990 i helped put together a 990 you know and to your point understanding how a donor thinks about impact and wants to see the impact of their work and how they think strategically about how they invest their dollars rather than, I think a lot of people's perception is more charity rather than true philanthropy is about investment, right. Mm. And, 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 and making transformational change. And so I think that's seeing that on the other side of, of the donor's perspective was definitely the way you put it a leg up. I, I do not have that experience. I actually um, was a teacher in an inner city school uh, for nine years before I went into advancement. So I looked more at uh, populations who had needs uh, mm-hmm. that were that were pretty great. And that's sort of the, the angle where I 
felt Good like oh <laughs> I could not <laughs> Yeah, I did that for a long time. Um, so how do you think that prospect development itself led, like what skills do you think helped lead you into a leadership role? How did it assist you? And I don't know, um, Adrian, you want to take that first or? Sure. Um, so what I will say that I think made me different from previous prospect development leaders in my organization. And I think different from, I think the old perspective of prospect development, I think prospect development has changed for the better, you know, during my time in the industry. And that is thinking from a development perspective, like a true fundraisers perspective, rather than um, a data management, data entry, you know, um, integrity, focused minds, you know, data integrity mindset. It's really more about asking those big questions and answering them in a way that, that drives strategic fundraising. It's really understanding the business in a way that I think in the past, there wasn't that alignment. And so in terms of the hard skills, I think being able to tell stories with data Um, being able to look at the data and say, look, this is the opportunity. You know, some of the really interesting things I was able to participate in were realigning our fundraisers by cohorts. So that way we could really maximize travel efficiency, you know, shifting to a regional model. So that way, you know, we could have fundraisers traveling to certain regions, but finding alignment within um, those colleges and units that we were fundraising for. So that way we were still, you know, um, we were actually raising more money for each college that way and being a lot more effective and efficient, you know, um, helping to identify potential pipelines of opportunity for, let's say a new building that we were, um, that was going up or, you know, we had an initiative, um, a, you know, really interesting disaster management initiative. How, you know, how do we start to prospect for donors that would be interested in that and kind of connecting those dots. So, um, those kinds of things, I, I think, you know, getting, being, being comfortable digging into the data, being curious about it, remembering the donors and thinking from it from a really personal perspective, I think also helped, you know, being that person who could say, oh, I, I remember that, um, you know, this person serves on the board with this person, and that could be a great way for you to get in the door. Um, just being that always, you know, that, that helping hand and, and that dot connector and person connector for the fundraising team, you know, remembering that ultimately at the end of the day, you're not successful if the fundraisers aren't successful. And I think that alignment is really important for prospect development. Oh, that dot connector analogy or that um, metaphor or whatever. I, I, I love that because it's such, right? Like when you're in that research role, there is so much of that. You're taking all these disparate dots and, you know, a lot of the research is finding the dots, right? Mm-hmm. But then the real magic that the researcher does is connecting those things together to say, hey, here's what we're seeing here. This is what's really going on. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing too, where I'm seeing on a daily basis, almost saying, I think there's an opportunity here. Cause you're seeing this dot over here and this dot over here and you're putting them together and, and totally doing that. Um, I, yeah, that really resonates for me. I think f- on my side of things, when I think about, um, you know, what are some of the skills, some of it 
is really about um, trying to understand how things fit together. How do they work? And, you know, that's a lot of the work when I'm doing biographical research or looking at a family situation saying, well, how, you know, who are the players here? How do they, what are these pieces? What are these pieces within the wealth picture? How do these things all fit together? And how does that actually function? Or what does that mean for decision-making? Or what does that mean for motivation? And coming up with some theories that we can put in front of the gift officer who can then go and validate that or or see if they can gather more information and help under, uh, develop a better understanding there. That sense of, well, how does this really fit together? How does it work? Um, has been a huge asset in terms of thinking about staffing and thinking about how are our how are our teams working together? Where are the places where they're not working together really well? And or how do you know these types of decisions get made within my organization where I need to influence things from a political perspective or from other perspectives, right? That understanding how these things fit together and what the levers are and you know where I can push, where I can't, and those sorts of things. That has been hugely invaluable in in the leadership space and just like trying to figure out how do I do best by my organization um, as I'm you know trying to be a leader here. Just you know when I can piece together a framework of ah this is this I think this is how this works. You can navigate those spaces and you can actually drive change and you know really you know see the opportunities and actually lead through them and and into them. Um, so for me that that piece has been a big part of it and I some of it I'm just it's I'm. You know, I think back to my graduate uh, master's work in music as like the same thing. I'm still trying to see how things fit together, you know, <laughs> and then and then act on that. Um, so it's to some extent, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I can't not do that. Right. And I'm just kind of wired that way. But I think that's something that comes naturally to so many researchers. Right. Just that the curiosity of how, how are these things connected? Where else am I seeing connections? You know, Mark, something you said um, that the political savvy. Like when you're talking about skills that you need to develop to move into leadership, that's something that where I've, I've seen um, really talented um, analysts on my team struggle to make that leap into more of a leadership role is the appreciation for the relationship building that has to happen to get buy-in for your ideas. You know, you can connect all the dots you want and you can have all the great ideas that you want, but if you can't, you know, understand how to kind of communicate that idea and sell that idea to different people on the team and understand the power dynamics at play of if we do this, what's it going to mean for that, this person's job or this person's scope of work? And how do you kind of show them the benefits of this um, when they're going to immediately think about the, you know, maybe the negatives or the change that that's going to mean for them. Um, That's, that's something that I think is really important to develop as you kind of move up through the organization. I'm I'm one of those people that you're talking about, right? Like where I, I'll put the argument together. I'm like, well, there's an art. Hello, logic. <laughs> and, you know, and I have to continually go back to, well, humans aren't logical. I mean, right. we're emotional yeah. creatures. We make decisions based on how we feel on our gut. And, informa- and in fact, if I'm challenging someone's point of view with my information, they are less, they're not necessarily going to, di- they're going to go, oh, I guess you're right. I'll change sides. Like, no, my, my inclination as a human is to dig in. Um, th- that's some of the really interesting stuff too, is going, well, how do people work? How, you know, how are they working? And, and I know those things intellectually, but I, I still almost daily have to remind myself, no, you need to work on the relationship side. You need to, you know, um, so yeah, I'm definitely one of those people. <laughs> Touched a nerve, Adrian. (laughs) (laughs) I actually think it goes uh, back to something else that Adrian said, and that's the piece where you tell the story. It's all about being able to tell a story. It's not just understanding 
and and knowing the ramifications and um, I think part of the political savviness is being able to tell the story in a way that resonates with someone so that they can understand your logic mm. <laughs> right um, so so it's the the story gets to the emotional part it makes the logical emotional I guess so yeah yeah that was a really good points from from both of you on that what would you consider is your leadership style and how has that been influenced by your time as researchers Marco I'll go ahead and start with you what do you think your leadership style is um I mean for me a lot of it is about I've spent a lot of time lately really centered on culture and looking at what are the ways that as a leader I am you know basically creating the environment where a really healthy and and valuable culture can grow um you know people I've heard people say culture eats strategy for, for breakfast um and I, you know, you definitely know that like, and within the past year and a half or so, you know that how you feel impacts your ability to get the job done, right? Like how many of us have spent, you know, days just trying to like be productive, stay focused, and you just can't because you're just feeling the sense of dread or whatever, you know, the terrible feeling is that 2020 seemed to dump on us. Um and so for me, it's like, well, how do I create psychological safety so that people feel comfortable innovating? How do I create a sense of trust so that people can, you know, stay focused on getting work done versus managing their own emotions? Um, so a lot of it, you know, there's just a lot more time spent thinking about, okay, well, how are people feeling? What do I need to do to put them in a position where they're feeling better? Um, which seems so like... Um, I, you know, I, I think if I had heard, if my 10 years ago self heard me talking right now, I'd be like, who is this squishy? What's wrong with you guy? Like, you know, no, it's data, buddy. Um, but you, people can't do anything if they're feeling crummy. People can't, you know, really bring their, their A game and contribute all that they can contribute. And so a lot, I've, I'm finding myself just spending a lot of time focused on culture and how do we operate together in a way that allows people to, you know, be as sort of themselves as possible. Um, so that's really been, I mean, I think a piece that's been central to, to a lot of my work um, lately, especially, and, and, you know, 2020 was a year when that really got laid bare, you know, if it wasn't there, you were going to feel it. Um, and that was kind of the only thing you had to stay afloat in some cases was that, you know, how are we working together as a team and just kind of trusting one another, working with one another and all that. So a lot of time spent thinking about culture and how do we, you can't, you can't force it. You have to like set the stage for it and hope that it will materialize in the right ways. You know, you do the right things and hope it shows up. And, um, and if you do the right things, it usually does. Yeah, that's kind of been my approach, uh, really, lately. I don't know. Uh, I mean, we had to stop the beatings going remote, you know, because it just, it was, you can't beat people <laughs> over Zoom. So that's been taken out of my toolkit for, for a while. <laughs> it is terrible we can't do that. I, I'm really excited to be back in the office. <laughs> Adrian is not a beatings type person, though, I don't think. Uh, you know, I'm like torture people by um, team building activities kind of person. It makes like all my introverts cringe, but, you know, I enjoy them. So you mentioned grad school. I'm in graduate school right now. Um, 
focusing on, I'm doing the Master of Arts in Liberal Arts, focusing on leadership and emerging technology and, and, and researching the relationship that particularly technology has on millennial leadership. Bunch of other thoughts around that that I feel like you and I could geek out over. One of the things I learned about is transformational leadership style. And I think this one, Mark, I think this is going to resonate with you too. I think it resonates with people in prospect development in particular for several reasons. And I'll kind of walk through what the tenets of it are, but I, I, I love it. The first part is um, you are purpose-driven. At the end of the day, you can't do work that you don't believe in and, and that you don't feel is meeting some higher purpose. And I think that's everyone in philanthropy, right? Like you don't go into philanthropy because you're trying to like make the big bucks or whatever, you know, it, you're typically in it because you're motivated by, by purpose-driven work. Um, the next part of it is that because you are inspired, you're inspiring. So you are able to, you're someone that really, um, values motivating others around you around a cause. And, and you know how to help tell that story to help others buy into the vision, um, of what the organization is doing. Um, the third tenet is, is individual, they call it individualized consideration, you know, and it's exactly what you were talking about, Mark. It's, um, Understanding people for who they are. It, it's all about allowing the individual to be authentic. I'm a I'm a certified strengths coach with Gallup. So I do Strengths Finder. And like, like that is completely a tenet of individualized consideration. It's understanding what makes a person tick and helping them be their best self, not their best version of you, you know. Um, and then the the final tenet of transformational leadership is um intellectual curiosity. You know, you love to leverage technology and data to make decisions. Um, and I think the transformational leadership style is particularly well-suited to millennials and Gen Z um, because, you know, people talk about the cliches of, of um, young people, you know, not wanting to do work they don't believe in um, and, and, and needing to have purpose and passion. But I think that's a good thing. And I think that the more we can translate, you know, what so many of us in the nonprofit space have already figured out into the for-profit arena, I think we're just going to have more engaged and more satisfied employees. Um, so yeah, transformational leadership style, learned about it in school, love it. Mark, I think it might be your style and you don't even know it. Well, I'm going to write it down and read about it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see a lot of um, leadership in uh, my organization that have that style. And it's, I like to think that I have that style as well. And um I definitely agree with everything that you just said. Yeah. It's just, I think it's really well have, suited to prospect development, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think one silver lining that came out of the um, horrible decade that was 2020 um, <laughs> is the fact that we uh, were able to bring our authentic selves to work in a more real way and uh, talk about things like mental health and the importance of understanding what our people are going through. Uh, I think that's, that's been very helpful um, in, in getting to know your staff in ways that you might not have beforehand. Um, we at our institution did forego the beatings, I will say, but we had a very high bar on the sense of humor. It was very, it's very important. Something that I do in to make everybody sort of build that, feel a culture of inclusiveness and understanding is that uh, we um, we do a, um, a question of the day 
every day. And we've done that since the beginning of the pandemic. So uh, 300 questions plus oh by now. Um, I ask them every day. And so I know things about people that I didn't know before. And they're wonderful things that help me gear in on what those strengths are that Adrian was talking about. So um, those there's a lot of, of good that came out of this, this awfulness that was 2020 for sure. I love question of the day. So what's an example of one that you all did? What kinds of questions? They have ranged. We went through one period of time where we were um, focused on music. So I had one question was who, who would you have at your dream festival living or dead? And so uh, people just, put tons of really interesting musicians. And so I made a Spotify playlist of all of these. And so there is a dream, uh, my my team is called Bagel Squad. They named themselves. And we have a uh, playlist of our dream festival. And believe me, it is a pretty eclectic mix because we have some hardcore country fans and hardcore Bollywood fans and hardcore hardcore punk fans. That would be me. So we had lots of uh, very interesting people on our, our playlist. That's that's such a good way to build out that individualized consideration, you know, helping Mm -hmm. people be proud of their tastes and who they are and what they're interested in. I love that. Yeah. Um, Today's question of the day is if animals could talk, which one do you think would be the rudest? So that's... Just keep that in mind, listening Dolphins. audience, if Dolphins you would like to. <laughs> Dolphins are big jerks. <laughs> so, I, we had some very interesting uh, answers this morning. I will tell you, uh, both koala ba- koalas and um, geese are high on the list today. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> very interesting. They seem, just, just uh, I'm curious, I mean, these seem like um, they could be very surface level questions. Are you finding yourself... I mean, do you, are you really getting into understanding people a little bit more, be, you know, through a sort of Trojan horse of a question that is, you know, it seems pretty innocuous or yeah. is it just kind of like, ah, it's just fun? Uh, it depends on the day. And we had some, we've had some questions that, so keep in mind that this did, um, that during the pandemic, we had lots of episodes like the murder of George Floyd. So mm-hmm. we had questions that were things like, check-in questions like how are you feeling we had questions like what would you do to um make the world a better place today Mm. like if you had a blank check or if you had the power or if you were in charge like it depend depended on the day and some days i asked really silly questions like you know who would win in a fight a bear or a lion or and some days it was like some pretty heavy questions and nobody's required to answer, but yeah. we always have a few people that always participate. And then there are a couple people that only if the question intrigues them, they will put something out there. And um, interestingly, there are some people that almost never answer, but if I ask a family question, like who's, you know, like, today's happy sibling day. If you have a sibling or, you know, tell us why, you know, what your relationship is like or something. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I also made sure to include like, and if you don't have a sibling, who, who's like a sibling to you. So um, I'm trying to make sure that I'm in- inclusive and uh, even those questions that are like, 
seem innocuous. So yeah. Oh, that's anyway. wonderful. Yeah. That's kind of what we do. So, you know, speaking of, of other people, do you guys have anybody in particular that helped you along the way to get where you are from your old position to your current position, like a mentor or a colleague that helped you out? I don't know, Adrienne, if you want to answer that one first or. Yeah, I will. You know, um, I have a wonderful mentor um, and just honestly, like she's, we're like friends now, but um, she was she, the one who hired me on at the LSU foundation. She was the senior director for development in the college of science, which is where I got my start in donor relations here. And she graduated to the VP for development and then the senior vice president for principal gifts. Um, and she's now running, she's the CEO of the hospital, uh, the our lady of the Lake hospital foundation here. So she's just had this um, transformational career in the time that I've known her. She's, led some incredible fundraising initiatives. And she was absolutely my champion and advocate at each step of the way um, in my career. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that there's, a, she had like Amory-isms, right? You know, like those people in your life that they have those things that they say that stick with you. You know, one of hers was, yeah, I think it's actually a ringing quote, but it was trust, but verify. And I hated it at first because I was like, I'm, I want to trust my people. I don't need to go back and check their work. But what I've learned is as you go, as, as you, your responsibility increases and you take over more work and more departments, um, you can't know everything about everything. I mean, for example, me being over um, IT and analytics and, and biomedic records, like I can't keep up with technology to the degree that I have to expect my system admin to take over. But what I do need to do is be really good at asking questions and verifying the answers. And so that was a good and hard lesson for me kind of starting out. Another thing that she would always say is keep the donor in mind. And so anything that we were doing, you know, I, we would always think, take the time to think about what's this, what's the impact to the donor going to be? Is, is this going to enhance the donor experience? at the end of the day. And if it was, then that was a good kind of test of we should, you know, consider it a positive thing. And if it was going to have a negative donor experience, we needed to think really hard about why that was and how we would communicate it and what that would mean to the donor. So she was a very donor centric person. I always loved that about her. Um, and it really helped, I think, me shape that culture within my team of, of understanding the impact of our work and always articulating it in terms of how it benefits the students in the campus or it benefits our donors and their experience. I am a little jealous that you have, you know, such a strong singular figure that rises top of mind. I'm sure there's many people that have- It's a village, you, it really right? is. Yeah. Right, but you've got one where you're like, oh, she's fantastic and we're still, you know, friends. And, and for me, I'm not, you know, not to say that I didn't have strong figures like that, but not necessarily anyone that I was like, that I would name first and foremost. I think for me, like it's been a, a lot of different people along the way, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of bosses. I mean, I've found that if I can find a boss from whom I can learn, that's going to be huge. And so that was a big piece, a big, big piece of a lot of for me. I mean, like I had one boss who I was just thinking the other day about how 
he was super analytical, but he had trained himself that, you know, when you bring up a point, normally his in, his inclination is to argue, which is kind of my style as well, right? Like, because you're just like, oh, let's refine this together. Um, but he recognized that he needed to validate first. And so he would be like, well, yeah, but well, first of all, yes, <laughs> like he would just stop and do that thing. And I'm like, Oh, that's really great. And so, you know, I absorbed that from him. I absorbed another, you know, other things from a few other people. Um, and so it's been, I don't know, you know, it's a mishmash, you know, I just kind of, you try and take the things you can from as many different people as you can. And generally, I kind of feel like, you know, every leader you work for, every leader you see, there's always something to learn. Ideally, it's something that you should do and you know, replicate. Sometimes there are the things you go, oh, that's a thing I should not do. Um, or here's how I would do that better. Um, so there's been plenty of those as, as well. You know, to some extent, when I think about where am I getting this from, some of it's just in work, but then some of it too is continuing to network within APRA and within our community and, and just building more connections because there are those people who give you nuggets along the way. I mean, for me, like Shelby Radcliffe is someone who I've always trusted a great deal and has had she's had fantastic advice um but then there's other peer mentors like you know bond lamy and misa lobato and other people that i've had the privilege of serving on the board with and it's just like bonkers how much talent and and um and intelligence there is out there that like if you just continue to expand your network and com- continue connecting with people continue talking to people you'll pick up little bits here and there and can go oh i'll take that that's really good i'll take that that's really good um and bang these ideas out with them too and refine what you're doing so yeah i think it takes a village is is the the theme for me for sure um and you, you know yeah you just can't go wrong talking to more and more people i think the upper community has absolutely been like a, a mentor as a body you know yeah it's such a giving and generous community of people and so talented and that's been so rewarding. Yeah. I agree with that, Mark. So besides being active in, in APRA and getting to know a lot of uh, APRA colleagues, do you have any specific advice that you would give early and mid-level career folks in prospect development that are interested in maybe someday having a leadership role? What, What do you think you would tell them? I don't know, Mark, do you have any ideas or? Oh, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's all about getting involved, all about, you know, doing the things. I mean, there's so many cases where like my comfort and ability at, you know, leading a meeting, leading a group, leading a project or whatever at work was derived from what I was doing in APRA, right? Like, in my first job, just as a prospect research analyst, I wasn't really getting any, you know, no one is going to tap me to lead a committee on campus necessarily when I was at Carleton. And and that that was fine. Programming committee needed someone to lead for Upper Minnesota. Um, eventually, you know, got onto the board and was, you know, involved in that leadership and figured out, oh, how do I work with these different people? And I mean, it's free, you know, to volunteer and you pay your dues and become a member. But then you get this hands-on experience of like working with other people, leading projects, uh, managing other people, you know, managing volunteers, which are way harder to manage than, you know, regular staff, right? Like you can't, I can't fire a volunteer. So I got to figure out how do I work with this person who is, you know, not doing anything or whatever. So for me, I mean, APRA has just been huge. And to be fair, like, okay, yes, there's other places a person can volunteer. And, and that's really the best way to go about it for me is, is to just dive in and do it, right? Because 
when you're at that point where you're applying for a job that requires management experience and you haven't done it in your real job to be able to say, well, I've done it as a, you know, in this volunteer capacity. Yeah. Same thing. Transferable skills works out and beyond just impressing the hiring manager, like you just get better at it. Uh, there's loads of just little things I've stolen from, you know, other people I picked up in APRA committee leadership and whatever, in terms of how I run meetings, how I plan meetings, all those sorts of things. And so for me, that's, that's been the biggest thing. I mean, it's just, it's right there. If you're like, how do, how do I get good at this? Well, just do it. It's right there. <laughs> it's right now. Go. Yeah. I totally agree with that, Mark. I think that, um, building, like I had a, an executive coach that called it executive presence, right? That's the ability to just like hop on a podcast and talk confidently at 10 o'clock in the morning before you've had <laughs> enough coffee. And, um, I, you know, I do think that you get to build that through volunteer experience. You know, one of the things I would say is go present, like force yourself to present. If you aren't doing something yeah. you're proud enough to present about, maybe you need to think about how you're doing your work. Right. And my guess is you're probably are doing something that's worth presenting and you just need to feel confident in yourself enough to go do it. But gosh, nothing helped me realize my weaknesses, like getting up in front of a room to present something and feeling like, oh God, I'm going to sweat through my clothes and fall on my face, you know? And so you learn from that and you say, okay, I'm going to do better. And I, and I, you, you know, get back on it. Absolutely. Forcing yourself to present. If you want like one tactical tip, go mm. to Apple. It's such a welcoming crowd. People are going to show up. People are going to be supportive. So just trust that and know that um, and gain that experience. But you know, volunteer management is another great one that, that Mark shared. You know, if you can learn how to manage volunteers, you can manage anyone. I love that presentation tip. I mean, that's right on the money. That's so, so true. And I think sometimes the thing that would slow, it would trip me up. I'd be like, yeah, but I'm not really doing anything you know, is it worth presenting on this? If you're doing it well, like there's someone who can benefit from it. Like mm -hmm. no matter where you are, I, you know, the wonderful thing about the Apple community is it's very broad in terms of the type of people showing up. I and mean, you got people there who are like, I don't know the first thing about a prospect management system. And if you're like, I don't know, we're using this report and it does this. And it's like, you don't even have to be the person who created it or came up with it. Like you're just saying, well, this is what we're doing. Uh -huh. yep. Like <laughs> still valuable and still, and so get up and talk about it. Cause someone is going to get value out of that. It's yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I, I love and hate presenting because leading up to it, I'm a wreck. I'm, I'm, I'm my wife is just kind of like, oh, you've got another presentation coming up, don't you? Because I'm just like in my head um, mm -hmm. and I'm always glad when it's over, but I'm always really glad that I did it. And that's super, super fun because it's you just yeah, it's it's so valuable because then just speaking up in a meeting with people that you don't know is even easier because you're like, oh, I've stood up in front of like, you know, 50 people in a conference room that was too cold and someone's going to complain on the survey about how cold it was. But that's not my problem. But, you know, like I've done this. I got this. I can do this. Yeah. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So true, Adrian. So true. And it feeds the community, right? Like I love, mm. how, you know, you're talking about the case, copy and steal everything. You know, I, I, I think that um, the more we give back to the community, the more it gives back to us. And so, you know, you're doing a service to yourself and to the upper community by presenting. So I'm, I'm always going to take the selfish angle on that stuff, Adrian. You can talk all you want about the <laughs> altruistic side of it. I'm like, nope, it's just for me. <laughs> I 100% agree with what you're both saying about volunteering with APRA. And in that mindset, my piece of advice would be to try to remember that at your home um, institution, whatever it is, because 
there are often times when uh, people ask, and if you learn, and, and I'm not talking about in your everyday work, and sometimes you do need to learn to say no in those terms because you become overworked. But if there is a volunteer opportunity in your own institution, learn to say yes. Like even if it's something that isn't usually your purview, but if somebody's willing to give you that opportunity, say yes to the opportunity. And it'll give you not only exposure to something new, but it'll allow people to see you in a different light. So that would be my piece of advice. I love that. And that's a good reminder for me that just this mo- this morning, I got an email from someone on campus like, oh, we're putting together this committee and, you know, be, you know, thought you might be a good addition. And I'm like, oh, I don't need that kind of head. Come on, just leave me alone. But it's like, nope, that's, you know, this is a group I need to get more FaceTime with and, and, you know, see if I can woo them a little bit. And, right. and it actually goes know, back right. to some of the things that you guys were saying earlier about building relationships. You mm. never know a what relationship. And I don't mean this in a, you know, sort of self-serving sort of way, but like, you never know what kind of relationship is going to further the mission of your institution. Like you'll find somebody that you have a synergistic response to and it moves, it, it makes that transformation that we were talking about earlier happen because you've had that conversation with the right person that you had no, the only way you would have interacted with them is because you said yes to a seemingly inconsequential opportunity. I, I can't tell you how many times that's happened. Yeah. I, I mean, as an introvert, I'm not usually one to reach out, although I recognize the the value in that and, and we'll do it when I need to. But these, right, these types of opportunities where you're being pulled into it, absolutely. And, you know, huge corporations have done studies on the sort of, you know, net value of people who are strongly connected within the organization, people with a higher sort of social uh, within the organization network status or connectedness tend to add value and bring value to projects and to work in ways that those who are not connected do not. So you, I mean, there's been like research done on this showing that yes, connectedness is valuable. Yes, do it. It's, you know, it, it's a kind of thing that uh, makes things easier. And again, as an introvert, I know that if I know someone, I was on a committee with them and I need, you know, it's like, Oh, I need to talk to someone in this department. I've got an in with someone over there at this point. And so, yeah. I'm with you on the introverted piece. I know it's not something that's uh, super easy to do, but it really pays in spades just in your own work. I mean, if you know that this person over there is doing something like X, you could go, oh, I see how that applies to what we're doing over here. And it it helps you to be interdisciplinary Mm. in whatever you're doing as well, so... So I actually have uh, another question for you guys. Leaders often have a lot of responsibility, which means a lot of stress, particularly if it is, as I said, the decade that was 2020. What do you guys do to maintain work-life balance? What do you do to decompress and recharge yourselves? So I'll go first. You know, I think a lot of people who know me know that I love to play video games Video games are such like great stress relief for me, um, especially uh, strategy games. You know, I love the game civilization as just like a relaxation technique because it just, you know, gets your mind thinking about something else um, and you kind of have to be all in on it. And you're like learning history, which is fun, you know, games I think are fantastic. And then um, for me, spending time with my family, you know, I've really 
2020 in particular helped me see how much I was working and how much that was taking away time from the things that I really cared about. And so I've been very intentional as we've been coming back into the office and, and resuming, you know, the normal kind of cadence of things. I, I've, I've tried to maintain those boundaries that I was able to kind of put up during um, lockdown here and during the remote environment and, and have really worked to maintain them. Um, and then running. I know it's a cliche and I used to hate it because I was like, what are you, you're just running. Like, why would anyone do that? But, you know, again, like last year, I really got into it and I've realized that keeping my body physically fit helps my mind be physically fit, you know, and um, having that alone time, I think is sometimes important, especially at, at once you're at, at the executive level and you're in meetings, you know, my phone was ringing at seven o'clock this morning. It, it, you know, I'm, I have my calendar is booked until seven o'clock tonight, but, you know, and then I'm going to spend time with my husband and finding times to have intentional alone time in the day, I think is, is also really valuable, especially when you have kind of introverted tendencies and you get depleted by being with people all day long. Yeah. That the boundaries thing really resonates with me. Um, that's something that my boss and I have actually been really intentional with, you know, part of our culture is really about you work when you're at work. And when you're, you know, when you're not working, you don't work. So it's, it's weird if you send an email over the weekend or even in the evening, it's like, what are you doing? I won't send, I won't do any emails in the evenings or weekends. I, you know, I'll tell my team, look, I don't want you doing it either because you need that time to recharge. You need that time to sharpen your saw and, you know, really kind of take care of yourself. I think, I don't know if this analogy is quite right or if it works, but I kind of feel like, you know, we're all kind of racehorses. And you can't like just make your racehorse run all the time and expect it to perform, right? Like you have to give it care and feeding and rest and, and, you know, and then when it needs to run, it'll run, but you can't, I mean, it's ridiculous. The, the idea of like, no, this is a good racehorse. He's busy all the time. How you doing racehorse? Oh, I'm really busy. Like, I mean, that's the, you know, the badge of honor that we used to have. And like, no one thinks about horses that way. It's like, I want my horse to win the race. I want them to perform really well. I kind of think people are the same. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you, you just can't push people and, you know, force them to continue to go, 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 go without stopping and going, no, no, let's just, you know, relax eat some hay, chill out, you know, get a nice bath or whatever. I'm not sure if the analogy really works. At some point it, it breaks down or at least gets a little uncomfortable. But there is the notion that we, you know, the there's value in continuing to like, oh, I work really hard and I put in all this time and, you know, I'm super busy, you know, it doesn't serve us. And, and um, some of our work as I think, in the leadership role, we were the ones who can set that tone or not set that tone. And for me, it's about just being intentional. I mean, there are times when I go, yeah, I'm going to be spending some time working this weekend and getting some stuff done. But it's the kind of thing where it's when I'm choosing to and when I'm also making sure that I'm not doing so to my own detriment long term, right? Like if I'm going to burn myself out, I can't it's no good. Um, so that's, I mean, just a big thing for me is just that uh, having those boundaries. And I, you know, I've recently gotten back into running too. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I just had a long run yesterday. And finally, I'm in shape enough where my legs aren't like screaming at me today. So I'm feeling like, all right, good. This is I'm making some progress and getting back. But 
how do you reset your brain? How do you give it time to like defragment and, and get reorganized and, and all that? Like that's really, really important. And I think there's a bit of know thyself that needs to be part of the equation. And the discipline of creating the boundaries for yourself and listening to yourself and being honest with yourself and going, yeah, no, I'm not going to work this weekend. I'm not going to do this thing because I'm not going to be any good to you if I, you know, burn myself out. And that's to me, um, it's easy to feel like, wow, I just got to keep going because there's these expectations. And it's like, no, I, you know, you just have to end up saying, I'm, I'm going to pause and I'm going to, you know, sharpen my saw and, and get a little better right now versus powering through all the time. It's so easy to fall in that trap because, I don't know, there's always something to do. There's always something to focus on. There's always more work to be done. So it's foolish to think that I can ever get to a real stopping point. So I have to create those for myself. And that's one of the learnings for me that has been kind of important is just going, yep, just hold on, settle down. Yep. You can feel that pressure, but also know when to just go, yep, that pressure is going to have to sit aside for a little while while I go for a run or I take time with my family or, you know, whatever it is that I'm doing. So I appreciate that, that, um, idea of sticking with boundaries. It's really important. I am still working from as someone who's still working from home. It's really important to me that I, I put my office equipment on, I have two floors in my house and it's upstairs and I spend all of my time on the weekend downstairs. I don't go upstairs at all. It's like my, the stairway is my commute and I make sure to keep it separate as much as possible because you're right. You do have to maintain that balance. So, um, I, I know I've taken up a lot of your time today and I don't want to, and I know you guys are very busy and I want to say that how much I really appreciate all of your words of wisdom really quickly before we go, I'm going to steal something from Ezra Klein's podcast. He always asks what three books he, he his guests recommend. And I'm going to sort of expand that a little bit and say, what three types of media, whatever things it could be, and it doesn't have to be about leadership. It can be whatever you want. What three things would you recommend other people consume? And just, if you want to tell us why that's great. It could be a book, a TV show. Uh, I know a lot of us were into binge watching and, and movies and all that sort of thing. So what recommendations do you have? I don't know which one of you wants to go first. I've got, I'll, I'll, I'll rattle off three that okay. have, some are longstanding and some are a little bit more recent. Number one, uh, the podcast manager tools. If you, I mean, it's really, really great for core management techniques and approach. And the guys who put it on, they've been doing it since 2005. So it's, you know, there's a lot there, but they've got kind of their manager tools basics, which is the core of what they suggest. And it's very practical. Um, it's a little sort of regimented almost, but I found it to be tremendously valuable. You know, it's a couple of dudes you know, straight white guys, middle-aged. So it's like, okay, you know, I've heard these voices before. And so I always have to kind of like discount that or just go, all right, I'm going to ignore the fact that they're representing a point of view that yes, is all over the place. I get it. But there are really nice nuggets in there of uh, techniques and tactics that are super fantastic. So anyone who is new to management, I highly recommend checking that out because there's something to glean from there in terms of, you know, good techniques that are really really work. I mean, so I'm a huge fan of that. Some of the reading I've done more recently, Radical Candor is one that I read last year. I think Adrian, you were the one who hipped me to that actually. And so I uh, loved it. 
really, really fantastic. And then uh, recently I finished Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, who has done tons of work in, you know, sort of the authentic self space in kind of more personal side. She really takes a turn towards the management and leadership side of things. And a new hire that I have, she mentioned that she was reading that. And I'm like, mm, this sounds really fascinating. And it's really, really great. Um, and it does fit really well with Radical Candor, actually, because they're both about like, the authenticity that we can bring to the workspace and the work that we're doing and how we show up with one another in ways that are, you know, allow a person to be themselves and do really great work. Those two are, are really high on my list right now, particularly just from a recency standpoint, but also I'm like, mm, probably could read these every couple of years and get a lot of value out of it. So. Right. Those are great. Thank you. Adrian, what about you? Yeah. You know, one, I'll start by saying I love Edges or Klein's podcast. It's I geek out. The, the topics are always so interesting. So if you just have a curious mind, subscribe to that. I love Dare to Lead, Mark. It's so mm. good. And and piggybacking on that, you know, Brene Brown has the Dare to Lead podcast and the Unlocking Us podcast. They're both fantastic. Um, and I love to listen to those. I, I wrote down your um, manager tools. That's interesting. I, I listened to one that sounds somewhat similar. It's called Coaching for Leaders with Dave Stahoviak. And they have just all kinds of fantastic people on. I get great book recommendations from it. It's a wonderful um, leadership development podcast. You know, in terms of books that really influenced me, the book Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek, really fantastic book about how you can build a kind of servant leadership culture within your team and, and really build deep trust within teams. And I think that you know, any leader going into a new team, that's really valuable, but also, you know, even veteran leaders who are looking to build strong collaboration within their team. It's, it's a great resource for that. Those are, you know, every people make fun of me for how much I love Harvard business review, but I do because it's just like so much good stuff all the time. Like just it's subscribe like to Harvard business review. <laughs> guaranteed good. Like if I'm yeah. looking at books, I'm going, Oh, did Harvard put this out? Oh yeah. Okay. Then it's good. Sorry to interrupt, also, but I'm no, just it's like, good. heck yeah. They have the HBR idea cast podcast. It's fantastic. They have the cold cases they where they go dig into white papers podcast. So like, those are ways to digest it if you don't want to read, but subscribing to it, it has been really invaluable. And then I'll just plug really fast this book I just finished. I, I read it at the beach, so the dust jacket is gone, but it's called Multipliers. Um, Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. Oh, yeah. Freaking phenomenal book. Loved it. Changed the way I think about leadership. Um, and, and, and really the kind of key premise is that leaders can actually develop their people such that they get more out of them than, than, than the person ever thought was possible. You know, it's really all about maximizing, multiplying people to their greatest potential. And as someone who loves StrengthsFinder, I mean, I guess that's another one. Go take StrengthsFinder. It's such a great resource for understanding others, you know, but one of the things that Multipliers talks about is, is understanding the native talents of others, the unique skills, the things that people lean into and get excited about and are naturally good at. And then how do you build on that and build on that and catalyze that in such a way that People are doing excellent work. And, uh, you know, I think uh, as leaders, that's really our role is like to catalyze that excellence and then just get out of the way, you know, and, and, and let it happen. That I think is actually a fantastic way to end this catalyzing. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's such a, I, I, I have nothing more to say. I think we should stop there. I think that's a great stopping point. So well, I want to thank you so both. much. 
yeah. for, for being with us today and um, allowing me to take up your time and uh, ask you all these questions. Um, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Prospecting, the APRA podcast. To discover all that APRA has to offer, visit aprahome.org. For links to content featured in this episode, check out the show notes. If you like the show and want to help others find us, please subscribe to and rate us on iTunes. Until next time.